Welcome to the Dentistries for Kids podcast. We're Angelina and Cameron, and we love candy. Do you all love candy? We've learned how to enjoy all the candy we want without getting cavities or getting in trouble with our dentist. Want to learn our magic? Join us to discover how to enjoy sweets and have nice, bright, clean, shiny white teeth. Let's go. Welcome to the Dentistry for Kids podcast. Today we have our special guest, Dr. Amanda. How are you feeling today? I feel great. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much. We're so honored to have you. So before we get started, I just want to introduce Dr. Amanda a bit. Dr. Amanda is available to bring sedation and general anesthesia to dental offices. She's a board-certified dentist anesthesiologist with over a decade of experience. She trained at UCLA and now practices in Las Vegas, where she calls her home. So now let's get down to the questions. So what is a dental anesthesiologist? Um, so uh, we are recognized by the ADA as of 2019. And a dentist anesthesiologist is someone who went to dental school first and then has a love for anesthesia and chooses to go the dental route. So you have physician anesthesiologist and dentist anesthesiologist. And dentist anesthesiologists basically um, work with just dentists. Um, it is different per state, right? So here in the state of Nevada, we can work on patients from basically head or shoulders up. So head and neck, anything to do with the mouth, the jaw, nose, eyes, anything like that, we can do anesthesia for them. Um, because we went to dental school. Our residency is three years, just like physician anesthesiologist. Um, but again, we focused solely on dentistry, oral surgery, maxillofacial prosthetics, things like that. Oh, okay. And I know, um, so why do children need to see you for their dental procedure? Absolutely. So there's a lot of I mean, what, there's almost 70 million children in the U.S., okay? Of them, statistically, uh, about 70% of them are not cooperative for normal dental procedures. It's a very high number. Now, a lot of those are children zero to, let's say, 12. Um, and then we also have a very large um, special needs population of patients. And so a lot of them can't sit for a normal dental appointment. So that's one reason. Um, and the other reason would be pre-cooperative age. And we call pre-cooperative age children between zero and five. And so when you're two years old and you have a full mouth of decay, um, we don't expect that you're going to sit for an hour and a half, even 45 minute procedure as a kid. And so a lot of times, one, it's safe. So what we do at general anesthesia in the dental offices or in the hospital is very safe. Driving in our cars every day statistically is actually worse than general anesthesia that we provide to our patients. And so it's very safe to have a, a young child or a special needs patient or children in general have anesthesia because they're not moving around, right? There's a lot of things, um, you know, they use hand pieces and sharp tools and a kid who needs a lot of work, it's much safer for that child not to be moving around and all over the place and have general anesthesia and have a controlled setting then bring them back for, let's say, four appointments and let's with something like oral sedation, right, where it's unpredictable. So anesthesia, general anesthesia for children is very safe, and it really is the most efficacious when it comes to making the child comfortable. Ooh, that's very interesting. Jeez, you make it <laughs> so safe for like all these young kids just to get some. It, they need it. Yes, they need it. yes. 
So I guess like um, how many different kinds of dental anesthesia do you usually provide on a child? Um, as far as how many patients we see or how much anesthesia we provide, what, what I just clarify that for me. Um, like, um, like what are the different types, you know, okay. like, so there's different levels of anesthesia. Good question. So a child um, or an adult, anyone can have um, four different types of anesthesia. So you can have minimal sedation, which is just let's say like the nitrous nose. So maybe when you're younger, you go in and you get laughing gas, right? Um, or they could have a pill or a drink. So that's one. So that's, that's minimal sedation where they just use a single drug. Then you have moderate sedation where they can use um, an oral sedatives and nitrous, and that's moderate station. So you're set, you're conscious, but you have diminished reflexes and stuff. So you're just really out of it and loopy. And that's what they would call like a twilight. Then you have deep sedation and general anesthesia and deep sedation, general anesthesia, you're unconscious, totally asleep. And um, that could be with different things like a tube or not a tube, but there's many different ways to provide general anesthesia, gas, no gas. So there's four levels of, of sedation um, that we provide to our patients. Ooh, that's very interesting. Do you typically use all all four, or is there like one you use more common than the other? Uh, good, great, great question. So for children, um, a lot of times for what we provide um, as dentist anesthesiologists is going to be general anesthesia. And so to give a child a little bit of drug and then tell them to cooperate is kind of an oxymoron. So children are either totally awake or totally asleep. There's really no in-between where they're cooperative. So I would say general anesthesia is the most common with using a dentist anesthesiologist in the dental office. Ooh, okay, thank you. I know earlier you said something about um, general anesthesia is really safe for children. So I was wondering if there's any potential risks or side effects that might be associated with it. Absolutely. So everything has side effects. Nothing is 100%. And so I'm very honest with parents when I say that. Um, I'm a parent myself. And so, you know, everything comes with, um, you know, some sort of risks always. Okay. So it could be something as small as a little bruise where your IV was. Um, it could be, you know, um, they could, I don't potentially have um, an asthma attack. They could potentially have, you know, other sequelae. Um, the worst obviously would be, an unfortunate, you know, um, situation where there was a death, let's say, but in my hands, well, at least in my 15, 16 years of practice, I've never had that. That really goes to case selection. Um, but you have to tell parents everything, right? Full disclosure when it comes to everything. Now that is not very common. So if there is something on the worst end of general anesthesia, it's usually some underlying health issues and something going on. Um, that, uh, you know, it really could be avoided with the right operator. Oh, okay. So would you recommend kids to kind of see and check out their health conditions before getting anesthesia? Absolutely. And that's why I said case selection, because there are some patients that are not good candidates for in the office. For instance, those who are, are morbidly obese, right? So someone who is morbidly obese, um, unfortunately, with a high BMI does put them at increased risk for having anesthesia in the dental office. Um, there's other patients with underlying cardiac issues, right? So if they were born with um, something like a tetralogy, a flow, where there's not the right flow of their heart, 
right? And they need to be monitored afterwards and need to be in recovery for a while or even admitted into the hospital, they may not be a good candidate for in-office general anesthesia. Mm, I see. Okay, thank you for that. So I guess during the procedure, how long does it typically last? Um, most um, pediatric dentists, um, as far as a, a kid, right? So we're working on 20 teeth only. Um, and so uh, for a child, it's anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half is very average. Okay, oh, that's not that long. I thought it'd be like three hours or something. Oh, no, not for a child. No, most pediatric dentists that are really well-trained, board certified, you know, quick, they can get work done and it'd be really good, um, you know, and in that amount of time. And they can work on all the quadrants of the mouth and get everything done within that time frame. Oh, okay. That's really cool. Thank you. So they only have one procedure then, right? So a parent who opts to have their child under general anesthesia, it's a one appointment where everything is done. They don't have to come back for another crown or anything like that. Everything's done at that appointment. Oh, so if they do not undergo it, then they have to go back several times? Several times. And that's where we we lose kids, right? So a lot of times children are not phobic of the office, but if there was somebody who's a little more rough or the office is, you know, or the procedure is tough for them, or they're using local anesthesia and numbing up the area multiple times, well, kids are very smart. They're not going to want to go back. And that's why we have phobic adults now, right? So now we have adults who I treat who didn't have the best procedures or the best experience when they were a kid. And now they're fearful of the dentist and don't want to go unless they have some sort of sedation. And so I do see it on both ends where we literally can ruin a kid if they come back from multiple appointments and don't just have general anesthesia one time to get it all done. Oh, so for what I'm hearing, it's better for the kid in general. 100%. From a psychological standpoint, it's better for the child. Because kids are smart, right? Every time you go for a vaccination shot, you know what's coming. When you go back to your primary doctor, you know you're going to get a shot, right? So it makes you more phobic to go. And that's what happens with kids. When you're two, four, five, if you've gone multiple times, as you get older, it makes it to where you can develop some kind of anxiety and phobia of the dentist. Oh, okay. Thank you. So since we're on the topic of phobia, I was wondering what measures do you take to ensure that the children remain comfortable and safe while they are under anesthesia? Great question. Um, so I follow, obviously, the law. So we do have um, our ADA guidelines, the American Dental Association of um, uh, American Dental Association has their own guidelines, and then you have to follow state guidelines. So when a child is asleep or adult is asleep, um, they're fully monitored with a full scope monitor. So we monitor their heart, their breathing, their pulse oximetry. We monitor um, their entitled CO2. Um, we look at their pupil size. We look at their lip color. We look at everything. And I literally never leave the room. And that's part of our standards of monitoring. You cannot leave the room when a child is asleep. And so I'm literally sitting right next to them the whole time my practitioner's working um, so that um, I know what's going on with the child minute by minute. Oh, okay. So you can monitor everything that goes on. Oh, circulation, ventilation, oxygenation, they're all monitored. Ooh, okay. Yeah, that definitely is, like, ensures that it's safe. So I was wondering, like, before the appointment, what can the parents do to prepare for their general anesthesia for their children? 
Great question. So most importantly, they should have maybe some sort of rapport with their office, right? And talk to them, you know, ask them, did you trust your your anesthesia provider, right? Your, my kid's about to go to sleep. I want to make sure that whoever's treating them, um, you trust as well, right? So that's one thing. Make sure that the office they're going to, they trust their practitioner to trust their anesthesia provider. That's a big one. Two, they're going to prepare by making sure that their kid has nothing to eat and drink. That's really important because you have to be on an empty belly for general anesthesia. It doesn't matter it's in the dental office or in, a, in the hospital, right? You cannot have food on your belly because you're at risk for vomiting and aspiration. So mm-hmm. not eating and drinking is a big deal. From a mental standpoint or psychological standpoint, I'm not a huge firm believer in telling zero to whatever year old um, everything that's going to happen because it does make them more scared. Um, so if you say, okay, tomorrow you're getting a shot or tomorrow they're going to put a mask on your face and hold you down kind of thing. Um, kids, you know, do better when the parent's not telling them what's going to happen. In my opinion, if they show up and then I'm the bad guy, it makes it better. So they're not looking at their parent like, why would you let her do that? Right. <laughs> um, so preparing them from a psychological standpoint is just telling them that they're just going to be okay. You know, um, telling them that they're in a good place and these are people that care about them. And helping them understand that 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 they're going to be loved on and nothing's going to happen to them kind of thing. So that's what parents can do. Okay. That's definitely different from what you do to adults. So I know you mentioned no um, eating or drinking prior. So I was wondering, mm-hmm. is it just for dinner or is it like during breakfast the day of? Absolutely. So we follow the American Society of Anesthesiology guidelines on not eating and drinking. And so the guidelines say nothing to eat, um, a fatty meal, eight hours, six hours for a light meal, and then two hours for clear liquids. So what I tell my patients is depending on their appointment time. So most kids we see in the mornings to make it easy for parents not to keep them without eating all day. But I tell them absolutely no food, eight hours, and so whatever appointment they're eight hours before their appointment time. And then they can have water, apple juice, Gatorade up until two hours before so that they're hydrated. Oh, okay. So eight and two. Yes. Eight, no food, two hours, clear liquids. Okay. Thank you. So how long does it typically take for a child to recover? Great question. Um, And so most kids, it depends on the child, right? There's some kids that are really good sleepers. So it could be anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour for them to be recovered enough to go home. So they have to be able to sit up, open up their eyes, give us high five before I let them go home. I do not let them go home super sleepy. Oh, do you monitor them while they're recovering? Yeah, so they'll have a monitor on, usually a pulse oximeter just to tell us what their breathing is, right? Um, but I allow them to be with their parent once they have some movement. Once I see a little movement, I see that they're moving around. We remove, let's say, their IV and all of their monitors so they don't wake up with a bunch of stuff on, right? One little monitor, usually in their parents' arms. And that's what I do. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. Yeah, that definitely makes it more simpler so they don't freak out that much. Well, look, the kids, you know, wake up in a weird environment and they go to sleep. I really think as a parent, you should go to sleep in your parents' arm and wake up in your parents' arms. I don't think you should feel like... You don't know what's going on because that doesn't make the experience smooth. Uh, Yeah, I agree. Like, 
Waking up with a bunch of devices feels very weird. Scary. I mean, even if they do get a shot before, whatever, we take the band-aids off, the gauze off. There's literally no evidence of what we did that day, you know? So it doesn't give the kid anything to talk about later. You know, you don't want to be like, wait, why do I have this band-aid here? Nope, none of that. Oh, so they think they sleep? They just think they took a nap and that's the best part, right? So when they leave as a parent, you're like, you did such a good, good job, little Johnny. Now when we go back to the dentist, you can just do it all by yourself because most times they don't even remember what happened. (laughs) Oh my, that's so funny. After their appointment, what are some of the steps and um, procedures they should do? Yeah, most importantly, it's to hydrate. Um, We ask them, you know, to start with soft, bland food, right? So they don't give them run out and get them a huge burger kind of thing because we rarely see nausea vomiting after general anesthesia. But a lot of times it's what they eat first. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask parents not to put them off in a room by themselves so that they can just, you know, be monitored with their parents at home for the first couple of hours. Most of the drugs that we use in anesthesia are redistributed in about four to six hours. And so, you know, they may not be sleepy for that long, but they still have medication on board that they're going to redistribute and pee out. Right. And so I really want to make sure a responsible adult is with them. Um, for that duration of time, because it's kind of like drunk driving, right? Kids don't know how sleepy they are, and they might think they could jump on their bed or go to the restroom by themselves or something. So you really want to make sure parents are vigilant when they get home so the child doesn't fall or something. So those are some of the post-operative instructions that we give to parents. Okay. How long do they typically last for? Or like, um, how many hours should you keep an eye on your children? Like I said, I mean, for the duration of the medications, for me, I tell a parent for the duration of the day because I don't break down redistribution of medications and all that. But I say the duration of the day. Um, But, you know, truly, if a parent, let's say, had to go to work, they should probably give the kid a good four to six hours of them with them or a responsible adult before they leave them, you know, on their own. Oh, okay. I see. Thank you. So... That concludes all the questions I have today. So before we go, is there anything else you would like to talk about? I mean, there's so much. I mean, dental anesthesia is pretty awesome. I think I have the best job in the world. It is hard, um, depending on my patient population. You know, we do get a lot of combative special needs patients and stuff and really sick patients. Um, But dental anesthesia is amazing. I say vet whoever it is as a parent. Um, they use in the office, look them up, make sure they have good, you know, reviews, make see if they're board certified, see if they teach, you know, there's a lot that parents can do to ensure that their child's in the right hands. And if there's anything they're not comfortable with, it's elective, it's teeth, don't do it. You know what I mean? If, if you, if you're just not comfortable, it's fine. Um, I prefer to punt and not do a case than force it and be cavalier. So I think that's really important from the parent's perspective that they feel like they still have control and they could say, I'm not comfortable in this situation, you know? Um, So I think it's great, but that's because it's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your input. Yes. Thank you for what you do. You certainly help make children's times at the dentist way better. Well, then thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Dentistries for Kids podcast. Thank you. See you another time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Dentistry for Kids podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share with a family member or friend. Make sure to like and subscribe to our channel too. 
help us complete our mission to see bright smiles from all around the world. Thank you.